veteran matador Mercedes tames the Red Bull in Spain. Welcome to the Racing Podcast. My name is Adam. Alongside me is Mitch. How are you doing today? Oh boy, that was something, hey? I'm doing awesome. I just, I still can't believe the strategy master plan by Mercedes and how it worked out. Absolutely, very much like a, a 2019 Hungary at Spain. Yeah, absolutely. Just a repeat of it. They even mentioned it on the broadcast saying, you know, that within the radios of the team, uh, Christian Horner came on and said to Max, could be uh, hungry all over again. (laughs) And as it turned out, it was. And I think one of the things that shocked me about it, though, is just the pure fact of how fast Lewis Hamilton was on mediums. Yeah, he, he absolutely flew through the field and you could see throughout the race he was getting close to max but as soon as he got within that one second there was just enough dirty air that max was able to hold him off and prevent him from getting side by side but as soon as he got that fresh set of tires they had one extra set of mediums for the race i mean he just ripped through the field and he just was too much for max which is interesting because again i i mean red bull chose not to pit max after Lewis did, because had they pit Max, then Valtteri Bottas would have gained the lead. But Valtteri Bottas wouldn't have been able to go to the end, I don't think, on those tires. It would have been very, very close, because Lewis pit on, like, lap 27, maybe? And they said on the broadcast that the tires will go, like, 40 laps at the top end. Valtteri Bottas pit at, like, lap 23... And then Max was 24. I don't think he would have made it to the end. So why not pit Max? Wait to see if Valtteri has to pit at the end. And if he doesn't, let's face it, you're going to have pace advantage like more than you could ever want in that scenario. I think Toto was kind of taking, and I don't want to say sacrifice, but kind of saying Bottas if Verstappen pits. Bottas will have the lead, but obviously Hamilton will get by him. And then my guess is Toto will probably tell Bottas, do your best to hold up Max and let Lewis get away. Well, see, what was interesting about that is, though, is that when Lewis pit, he was behind Max, and with the pace that Max had, he came out around six seconds or so or something like that, or more ahead of Lewis. So if Max had pit just one lap after Lewis did, he would have came out ahead of Lewis, likely, and behind Valtteri. And Lewis would still be in his behind Max state, right? Yeah. So if if they did that, then it comes down to, I guess, yeah, that radio call from Toto saying, you know, Valtteri, back up Max as much as you can to give Lewis a shot. But... I mean, it's hard to say now. Every We can speculate all we want, but... I wonder if it was a lack of confidence in... Well, I, I was going to say lack of confidence in the pit crew, but usually Red Bull's pretty reliable. Earlier in the race, Max came in and it was a 4.2 second stop, which is pretty slow for that team standards. Like, they've had 1.9 second stops. So, I wonder if that played in Christian Horner's mind and he was like, you know, maybe we shouldn't pin him in because I don't want to another bad pit stop and then him to come out behind of Hamilton 
Another interesting thing, though, for Max, though, is that, like, so they didn't pit him, and they asked him to go what would have been 42, 43 laps on those tires, which, like they said, Pirelli says in their specification for the tire, it lasts around 40. So they were asking Max to do a Sergio Perez <laughs> yeah, and take the tires to the end, and even Max in the at one point you know, on the radio in the car, it's like, I don't know how we expect for these to go to the end. Like, I think the only way you can go to the end is to put on the hard tires and they obviously didn't. And it it just seemed like a doom strategy as soon as they went that next lap and didn't pit. It just seemed like we all could see it coming. Yeah, absolutely. And they even said on the broadcast at the very beginning of the race that that C1 compound, the hards, that the drivers just didn't like it at Spain. Like, I don't know if it was a major pace difference or if it was just the feel of them, the balance of the car, the grip, but nobody went on hards yesterday. Everybody was soft mediums. I guess no one was willing to take a chance. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting to see how it all played out and the the fact that the two stops were kind of king. Um, but yeah, Lewis Hamilton ends up winning his 98th career race, Woo. which is... Yeah, it's crazy. And he did have one huge milestone. He hit his 100th career pole, which is insane. That's 32 more than Michael Schumacher. Yep, 32 more than Michael Schumacher and more than Alain Prost too, even though Alain Prost had less races. But still, just like a phenomenal feat for Hamilton to get 100 poles. I always like the memes that they post. You know how Lance Stroll got his first pole last year and he's like treasuring his little... Pirelli tire that you get for getting a pole position and then there's other people like oh here's my three of them here's my like 10 of them and then the last picture is just a pile of tires <laughs> out in some scrapyard it's like yeah. Lewis Hamilton's pole position collection <laughs> yeah oh it's crazy like he's just the king of turning it on for one lap especially in Spain he does that all the time and yeah he just knows how to put that car up front because he knows that Mercedes is good up front and maybe not so good further back in the field. And he just daws it up to 11 when he needs to. And especially when he's got like a fire lit under him. Like he hasn't had fights like this since Nico back in 2016. So for him to have this again, like how could you not be fired up for that? And then that would push him even more to try to put the car on pole. Especially when Max is this only was off pole by like three hundredths of a second. He he definitely has a lot more pressure from him, and I think Valtteri Bottas is really putting on the pressure this year as well, knowing that, you know, you've got George Russell kind of waiting in the wings there, hoping to get that seat, and I think Bottas realizes he can't just ride along this year. Obviously, he wants to win the championship, but even if he falls back in the points, he needs to prove that he deserves that seat over Russell. So I he's had some pretty strong qualities as well. And so I think it really has kind of everyone pushing each other just a little bit further. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Valtteri and racing for his seat, he just about cost Lewis that entire race on Sunday. That was fascinating. No team orders for Valtteri. It just doesn't like him at all. And the fact that Lewis had to make a legit pass on him for that, just nuts. Well, first of all, he was struggling terribly behind Charles Leclerc. 
it took a, like 20 laps or something to finally get by him. Like it, it, it was so painful to watch Bottas just sitting back there, sitting back there, sitting back there. And then he sees Lewis coming up again, knowing, yeah, here he comes. And you're just like, okay, well, this is going to be, you know, nice and simple pass. Bottas will move out of the way. But it was like, oh, oh, here we go. And then he just got passed kind of simply in turn 10. But it was like, okay, I, I, I see what you're doing here. Toto's going to be uh, pulling his hair out over the last few races, but okay. Well, I mean, at the same point, though, like Toto didn't necessarily have a problem in 2016 when Nico was behind Lewis and they gave Lewis the note to let him pass. And Lewis is like, he can pass me on track. I guess if you can't, if you can't take what you dish out, then, you know, too bad. So for Lewis to fight his own teammate, maybe flashbacks for him to that point. But I honestly thought, especially with the way the camera view was going into that turn 10, that Valtteri was going to turn in on him and there's going to be some sort of contact. And that would have just been the race for Mercedes. And I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Imagine that happening. Safety car comes out and all of a sudden you've got Verstappen, Leclerc and Perez top three but you mentioned uh, 2016 which is kind of interesting because earlier this year Toto was asked about the whole rivalry and the last time there really was some disagreements and kind of a not hostile but kind of negative atmosphere at Mercedes was 2016 when he had that battle between Nico and Lewis and they were really on each other I don't think things were said but you could imply that there was a lot of hostility, maybe? I would say hostility, because, like, you look at the careers prior to Nico and Hamilton being in the same car, in the same garage, they were friends. Mm -hmm. Like, laughing it up in the paddock, joking, ever since their karting days. And then there was that one interview in 2016, like, midway through the season, where somebody asked Lewis, and it's like, well, like, what do you think of this result from your your friend? And he said, we're not friends. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, <laughs> that's not what we've seen for, like, the last so many years. But sure, this is kind of awkward now. <laughs> you're friends until you're competing for the same championship. Yep. So, Unless it's Valtteri and Lewis, then it's just Lewis's fight. But <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I, I'm interested to see what happens, because next races at a track we're passing is pretty much at a minimum. But we'll see if Bottas uh, does anything like that in the future. Uh, unfortunately for Red Bull, they just didn't have anything with their second driver. Another disappointing race for Sergio Perez. He did finish fifth, but he only qualified eighth. Yeah, it's a tough a tough go for Sergio, and definitely I think they expect that he would finish higher, but, you know, maybe take that result with a grain of salt because, again, he was complaining about the fact that he had some sort of shoulder that was bugging him, um, which they said on the broadcast that because of that shoulder injury, he had trouble seeing. Take that as you will. If that's actually true, then, you know, maybe it's something that Red Bull says, okay, well, you know, not a big deal because you you had this thing going on with you. But at the same time, I mean, I just want to see him again like at Imola where 
he's so close to pole alongside Max. Because, again, like, Lewis took pole this weekend. And sure, Valtteri was third. But to not have Sergio anywhere close, like, not even in a fourth. Because look at the start Charles Leclerc had. If that was Sergio, all of a sudden now you have Max, Lewis, Sergio, Valtteri. And it's a totally different race, yep. strategy-wise. Because when you got two Mercedes and one Red Bull, Mercedes pretty much gangs up on that one Red Bull. And if you get Perez jumping in there and it's two and two, there's you, you, you can't play off the ganging up strategy. And it's fair game. And honestly, I think the only way Verstappen's going to win this championship right now, with how much Hamilton's on his game, is he needs that teammate to be up there. Or it's just going to be Mercedes ganging up race after race after race. But at the same time, and I thought about it this weekend, just kind of with how, maybe kind of how they manage the race from a strategy perspective, especially with keeping Max out, is that I think, and we'll have to see again, this is only round four, but I think Red Bull might have their eyes solely on getting Max a driver's championship and they might not care 100% about the constructors. Because of the fact that, like, even look back to Portimao, they kept Sergio out forever on those tires just so that he could potentially back up Lewis, which would give Max a chance. Instead of pitting him at a proper time and then saying, okay, now we got to get the most points out of both of our drivers, it's just get the best result for max but i think that's exactly it though i i think even if you have perez have a solid third place finish he needs to be up there to help max win the driver's championship i think that's the only way they're going to win the drivers even if you're considering whether they get constructors or not i think they really need sergio to be up there for any chance of max to get those points because you're always going to have lewis P2, P3. He always seems to finish strong up there. He's got good reliability. And Max needs those wins over Lewis. And he needs that second guy to push Bottas, being third, allow them to have the play of the strategy. Because it doesn't look like anyone else is anywhere near challenging these two drivers in Max and Lewis. And it really just comes down to their teammates to figure out who's going to have the advantage every race. And I think the only way Max really wins this championship is if Perez is up there fighting with Bottas in that pit stop range to kind of trap Lewis into reacting and not being proactive. Well, and maybe even as much as Lewis doesn't make mistakes and hasn't for like a very long time, to make him potentially make a mistake because you mentioned his reliability being really good over the last several years. I mean, eventually that's got to catch up with you. There has to be one race where, you know, it's just not on or you have trouble with your car in some way. Cause you look at Mercedes over the last several years. I mean, Lewis has had the spot reliability issue, but even this year so far, Valtteri's had the issues. It's like sensor goes, he loses a bunch of pace in Portimao. That's how his gap to Max expanded so fast because he was like a second behind Max before something happened. 
and then he falls back. So is that going to catch up with Lewis at some point? And then, like you said, you know, if Sergio can get up into that second or third, it would do wonders for Max's championship if in one of the races coming up, Sergio finishes ahead of Lewis. Because the further further down the order you drop from that 25 points of first place, the more that's just going to help Max in the driver's standings. Or say there's a scenario where Sergio heads out and gets the fastest lap and takes it away from Lewis. Just every point is going to count in this championship, and you you need Sergio up there. And he said, I think he said five races it would take for him to get to kind of climatize himself with the Red Bull. Obviously, this injury might be a setback, but race number five is coming up. That's the next race in Monaco. So we're going to see. Because I'd say climatize is P4. P5, maybe, if one of the Ferraris or McLarens has a great qualifying. But is acclimatization in five races for Sergio meaning that in the fifth race he's going to be great? Or in the sixth race he's going to be great? I think that's only a question he can answer. (laughs) I guess we'll find out. If he does well in Monaco, ah, it was only five races. If he does poorly, well... I needed that fifth race. It'll be the sixth one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess we could take it to the rest of the field as well. Um, just looking at the results for the rest of the top ten, we had Leclerc had a great result, finished P4. The McLarens, another strong weekend. They were P6 and P8, uh, including Ricardo ahead of Norris for, I believe, the first time this year. Yep. And then, yeah, Ferrari had P4 and P7. Carlos Sainz, seventh place. And the Alpines, they just were nowhere to be found on race day. They qualified 5th and 10th, and they finished 9th with Ocon, and Alonso fell outside of the points and finished 11th. Or actually, no, he finished well back because he had to make a pit stop late in the race. Yeah, it was very uh, very disappointing because early on, like, like you said, that track position that they had, Alonso did make, I think, a couple passes from 10th place to move up a little bit. But then, just kind of as the race went on, like, they just started falling down the order. Alonzo late was on those mediums, and that's when you saw that kind of parade of cars of Lance Stroll and Pierre Gasly and even Kimi Raikkonen <laughs> flying like George past George Russell Alonso. was in that run. Yeah, exactly. So he was just falling back so fast. And, again, it maybe it was just a feel for him that, feel of the medium tires that he didn't like or something like that but definitely a disappointing race for the one of the hometown heroes in this Grand Prix yeah and I'm looking forward to seeing a McLaren Ferrari battle for the first time because well in a while because last year the Ferraris were nowhere to be found and before then McLarens weren't really a powerhouse team so it's going to be fun to kind of see them back battling for what looks like them being the two contenders for third in the championship. Absolutely. It's been really special to see the checkerboard of Ferrari McLaren, Ferrari McLaren, or vice versa so far this year. Um, I'm curious to see kind of how, well, A, how Lando Norris's confidence recovers going into Monaco because he had confidence all-time high. He was beating his teammate every weekend, and then, if you look at the qualifying times, Lando didn't really improve at all 
throughout all three mm-hmm. qualifying sessions, like minimal gains, enough to stay in in the hunt for the top ten shootout. Um, but Daniel, on the other hand, really kind of found his stride this weekend. I feel. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about Sergio saying all five races is what I need to get acclimatized. Is that was it just a matter of for Daniel that again? Spain is the testing track for them most often, aside from this year, is that it's a familiar track, and he just all of a sudden clicked with the car. I think so. I mean, you had predictable conditions. You had, as you said, a track that they were so used to racing at. You had, I mean tires probably that they've been racing with the last couple of years i i would agree i think that he needed a race like this where it's all consistent and he knows how to race that track and they got so much data and he has consistent conditions this is the perfect scenario for him yeah absolutely uh, i guess we could run through the standings now taking a look at uh, where everyone's sitting right now uh lewis hamilton right now has 94 points he has a 14-point lead over Max Verstappen with 80. Valtteri Bottas very far behind with 47 points. Lando Norris at 41. Charles Leclerc right on his heels with 40. Sergio Perez still sitting in 6th with 32 points. Dana Ricardo with 24. Carlos Sainz at 20. Esteban Ocon at 10. Pierre Gasly at 8. Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso still tied at 5. And Yuki Sonoda with 2. And then for the team standings, Mercedes has 141, Red Bull with 112, McLaren down at 65, Ferrari just five back at 60, Alpine at 15, Alpha Tauri at 10, and Aston Martin with five points. Um, I guess we can transition now over to NASCAR, where they were at a classic track in Darlington. Uh, unfortunately, I-, I thought the race was a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Aside from the crashes kind of early on, right, that happened, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, you could have gone and made supper, or made lunch, or <laughs> run to the grocery store and come back, and <laughs> sadly not much would have changed during your absence, but... I mean, it is what it is. You you have to have a snoozer every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting to see them handling the cars because they were drifting quite a bit coming off the turns, but there wasn't a lot of front or action at the front. Martin Truex Jr. at one point had a 14-second lead over Kyle Busch at the end of the second stage of the race, and then at the end, he just pulled ahead, kind of got caught up a little bit in lap traffic. Kyle Larson made a bit of a comeback, but then he just powered through to win by about three seconds at the finish line. And it was just, I mean, the last <laughs> stage was a hundred laps of green flag racing pretty much. And I mean, no one had anything for two X and it, it was a little bit, yeah, a little underwhelming, but you know what? Sometimes you just need a dominant win. Absolutely. I mean, it's rare that you see that 14 second gap. <laughs> yeah built up by any driver let alone at the end of just the second stint so yeah it was quite an impressive uh performance by truex and uh there was a lot of uh intrigue as well in the xfinity race uh, and a pretty good result for the canadian in that race as well alex labay 
He was driving uh, his 36 car tribute to Kenny Wallace. Uh, ended up getting ninth. That's his best finish of the season so far, which is awesome to see. Woo! Nice. So, yeah, awesome to see that. And uh, hopefully you can keep that momentum up going in through the rest of the season. Uh, I was going to mention one other series note. Now, this one doesn't have any North Americans in it, but I was watching the race on Saturday. Uh, formerly E-Race, they were over at Monaco ahead of the F1 visit. The, it was nuts. They were making so many awesome passes around the track because we know that Monaco is normally a track where it's just a procession. And qualifying is everything. Yep. As soon as you... Set up the field 1 through 20. It's usually 1 through 20 to the end of the race, barring some kind of mechanical issue. But there were a couple of amazing moves throughout the race. You had Mitch Evans. Uh, there's After turn 1, you make it through Santavot, going up this twisting hill. Evans dove to the inside on this twisting hill of Antonio Felix da Costa and made this awesome pass. And then DaCosta responded on the last lap, making a diving pass into the Novell chicane right beside the waterfront. As I said, on the last lap to win the race. Uh, I would suggest, if you have a second, head over to YouTube, Google Formula E, and check out the highlight pack. It's like a five-minute highlight pack, and it had some awesome passes on it. This this was the... Uh... The race where you found out who had the big kahunas in the field. Absolutely. <laughs> because with with the width of that track, and I mean, Formula E cars are comparable width to Formula One cars. The, the room is just not there. And man, seeing Mitch Evans pull out kind of as he come up the hill, because he, he, it's not like he was right on his tail when they he started the move. He was a little ways back and just took off. And it was, I mean talk about being on the edge of your seat or like covering your eyes for dear life yeah. that's basically what you do when you see the move because i mean we've talked about our f1 uh, video game racing experience it, you just don't make a move like that that easily and he made it look super easy absolutely on that part of the track and and, and it completely surprised the commentators too which i found awesome because they, they end up playing, like, this audio clip of his engineer, like, okay, go get by him. And as they're playing it, he makes the move. And you've got Dario Franchitti, who, of course, an IndyCar legend, won a whole bunch of Indy 500s. He's like, oh, my gosh, what an amazing move. And when he's <laughs> saying it's a good move, it's a good move. Yeah, he should know. He's had plenty in his day. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. And at a... At... That's such an unconventional part of the track, too. I mean, you mentioned the last pass at the Nouveau Chicane. Typical overtake zone if you're going to make an overtake anywhere at Monaco. But to go up the hill just after turn one? Ugh. Nasty, nasty overtake. It's tough to make passes on lap cars up that hill, let alone battle for the lead. And yes, these cars are a little more durable. We saw that at the start of the race where they piled into the hairpin. That really tight hairpin, and one guy ended up climbing on top of another. And I think the guy who lost the front left of his car was able to finish the race. And I think he was maybe one lap down, or or even on the same lap, and running comparable speeds to, like, midfield. So those cars are durable, but still, going uphill, like, 
I would be a little bit terrifying knowing like if you make one wrong move, there's not much of a barrier. Like you hit that barrier, and if you go over that barrier, like that's a that's a steep fall. Yeah, it's not. Uh, there's not a large runoff area, and especially too just having trust in the guy that you're trying to overtake. Because typically going up that hill, you kind of hug the inside of each corner as you go up that little S uphill. So if you're diving to the inside of somebody, you really have to trust that he's not going to, well, A, he's going to see you, and B, just not turn in on you, because then your whole race is shot. Yeah, exactly. And, well, both your races are shot, and uh, yeah, it was one heck of a pass, one heck of a race. So make sure you check out those highlights, quite entertaining race in formula e um i think that's pretty much it for content in terms of what happened over this past week anything you wanted to add i don't think so i think if there's just for the memes if you want to talk about nikita mazepin oh yes he just seems to be like there's already been headlines coming out he's the worst driver ever to drive an f1 car i mean he has two penalty points already He's gotten penalties in the races. All the drivers have complained about him. Yeah, he, he, I'm curious to see how long he's even going to last in an F1 car. Well, I think he'll make the season because he's got the money. But he had two incidents this week. He had the kind of awkward stack up at the end of qualifying where it kind of compromised Norris. Norris was able to make it through to Q3, but it was a little bit messy. He ended up getting a time or a three position penalty from last to last and that point and then yeah in the race and i'm glad they had the graphic that popped up because we never hear and race engineers like a total wolf talking to the fia and getting that broadcast and we heard toto talking to michael massey director of f1 racing and going hey get this guy out of here he's gonna cost us the race (laughs) and it's like okay here we go I'm guessing Mazepin's not going to get that ride with uh, Urbatas' car in the future. Oh, no. Unless Toto retired and a whole new team boss came in in <laughs> for Mercedes that wanted to be, well, I mean, I don't know. Again, he, his dad has the money. That's why Nikita has a seat, because Haas needs the money. Um, and, I mean... Unfortunately, what we talked about in our very first episode of this podcast about it being kind of a pay-driving type of sport is Mazepin could be here for years. <laughs> like, Because, again, the money is there. It's going to be good support for any team. And I do, I honestly hope that he improves and he finds, you know, his groove and is able to kind of gain respect for the rules, maybe learn some things the hard way. I don't know, but to get two penalty points in your first four race weekends, like, ouch. <laughs> yeah, it's been a rough start for him. And he's got a... I I don't think there's any pressure on his seat for the time being, but I think a lot of the drivers right now are kind of maybe putting their pressure on him to maybe not smarten up, but just get into the game and realize your situ- situation. Maybe it is on also his own engineer for not catching lap cars but at the same time i mean you know you're in the back you know that there's going to be leaders passing you you just got to stay out of the way 
And I think maybe for him too, it's a matter of picking his spots as to where he lets people pass. And maybe he doesn't really know where those good spots are on a track. I mean, there's sure, you know, he said before he came in that respecting the rule book wasn't necessarily something that he would do, just do whatever it takes to win. Um, but like that, the incident with Norris in qualifying, like, yes, obviously it's his fault, but at the same time, maybe give him a little bit of a break because for him, he had to let through two cars. I think it was Sebastian Vettel and Pierre Gasly or something like that. Cause they were, you know, setting up for a lap, but then as he kind of got through just before the last chicane, before you go on to the main straight, he got radio word that, oh, Norris is coming through on a fast lap. And if you look, watch the video back, you have Vettel and Gasly stopped in the far outside edge of the corner, the first part of that chicane. So if Mazepin pulled up behind Gasly and stopped when Mazepin was also going on a hot lap of his own, it would have made the corner even more awkward for Norris because now you're in the racing line. Like the toy, the, the back corner of your car is in the racing line for Norris to make something happen. So then Mazepin says, okay, well then I'll just re-overtake these two, Vettel and Gasly. So he re-overtakes them just as Norris is arriving. Norris has to slow down a little bit. And again, where is he supposed to go? As, as much as it is his fault... I do maybe kind of give him a little bit of a break because the way that Spain is as a track, it just kind of left him hanging, <laughs> I guess. Well, so just the way qualifying is now, right? You, you have situations where you've got so many cars backing up at the end and then cars coming on hot laps. Like, we're going to see a situation... Like, I'm worried about Monaco. Where we have a situation where there is not a lot of room to get out of the way. And you could have guys backing up at Raskas at the end of the lap well, you got guys doing hot laps, making overtakes and rascasts, and it's like, I, I get a little bit worried. I, I do agree with you. I, I think that one is a little bit of a, like, yes, he might have broken the rules, but he wasn't the only guy causing troubles in that area. Exactly. And I am looking forward, though, to Monaco for that reason, because if Mazepin gets blue flags in Monaco, like... Again, it's not really a place where there's much room for you to move over in an optimal spot that doesn't affect the racing line. Aside from maybe just right out of the tunnel before the chicane or on the start-finish straight. But I think it would be just hilarious if all of a sudden you had this camera view of Mazepin in the front with all of these other cars behind him being like, if you're just joining us on the broadcast, no, Nikita Mazepin is not leading the race. <laughs> He has had blue flags for half a lap, and uh, there's just nowhere to pass him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, like there are there are a few spots, but I can I'm already imagining some spots on the track, uh, especially like the, the the tight hairpin in that area around there where it's going to be tough to kind of get over up the hill over near Raskas in the swimming pool section. It could be quite a messy area to pass cars and we could see some bumping and uh kind your number one explanations <laughs> some broken front wings 
But it's also got, this is another track similar to Spain, and we didn't really see much with regards to anybody getting held up by somebody entering the pits in Spain. Like the point that I made in the last uh, podcast. But this one, especially when you go into Rasgas and turn that corner, like the pit entry is right there. And it's just a short little straight before you go back onto the start finish straight. So like that's maybe one place where you could see something crazy where Mazepin's giving blue flags. He pulls over to the inside to let somebody on the outside go while somebody else wants to pit. Then Mazepin's in the way. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. I, you know, we should probably save some speculation for uh, the pre-race podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we will. We will. You'll hear it all again in uh, two weeks time. But, but yeah, I know that there's a lot to think about in a couple of weeks. Oh boy. But it's always an exciting race to see F1 in Monaco. Absolutely. And we this is the first race of the year where we didn't have the track last year. So it's going to be awesome. I think they've got plans for quite a few people in the stands. Or whatever stands they have at Monaco, since it's pretty much in the middle of the city. Standing in the buildings, on balconies, on the roof. <laughs> yeah, it, on it's going to be a lot marina. of fun. Oh, I, I love it. I, I love Monaco. Maybe not the racing, but I love the track. But um, yeah, I think we'll save that one for next week or a few weeks from now because that race is May 23rd, looking ahead. Uh, NASCAR, the next race is there. They're going to be at Dover next week. And then they get to go to a new track for NASCAR, but a track that IndyCar and F1 are quite used to. Well, maybe not IndyCar, but definitely F1 at the Circuit of the Americas. So that's going to be quite interesting. Uh, I don't know how those cars are going to handle the heavy curbs, but I, I'm just trying to imagine kind of a, a big stock car trying to go through some of those uh, areas. So I, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. It's Oh my gosh, that's exciting. Yeah, so we'll definitely talk about that on the preview race or preview podcast uh, ahead of that race because that's the same day as Monaco Grand Prix. So there's that. And then IndyCar, they're back on track May 16th for their first taste of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but we're not talking the big oval. We're talking about the infield. Grand Prix of Indianapolis, that takes place, as I said, on the 16th. Also in there is the Indy Pro 2000, Indy Lights, Pro Mazda, and then after that, we head over to pretty much get rid of all the track configurations and just turn it into an oval for the Indy 500, which is may 30th this year so a uh, little bit of action next week but of course the big one is the end of the month madness in may across all kinds of racing series it's the best oh yes uh, we don't get the we don't get the triple race where we get the like the triple weekend where you go monaco indy 500 to the coke 600 but you know what i, I like it being spaced out because we just get three of the pinnacle races of the year three separate weekends we get our spread out taste of food yeah <laughs> so yeah Co covid um, consider it they have to wait for somebody else to move out of the way before they can have the race <laughs> yeah exactly they're so, not even in the same location but maybe we could see a well no i don't think we are i was gonna say maybe we could see someone do the uh monaco race and then indy 500 next the week after but that i don't think that's ever gonna happen but hey 
<laughs> Who knows? Nope. Maybe Alonzo will have that urge to get back into a an IndyCar. <laughs> the dramatic uh, announcement. Fernando Alonso is leaving F1 after just <laughs> six races this season. <laughs> what? I raced at home. I raced to Monaco. It was a good year. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I think that's pretty much it for the podcast this week. We'll be back in a couple weeks' time talking a preview of the Monaco Grand Prix, a bit of a recap of the IndyCar race at Indianapolis, and also teeing up NASCAR as they make their debut at the Circuit of the Americas. So I think that's pretty much all for now. And by all means, please, again, reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, by email at the a racing podcast at gmail.com. That is the EH racing podcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle Twitter handle is the A Racing Pod. And I mean, it's such a long wait. It's gonna feel so long. Aside from IndyCar. Oh, this but we weekend, had this already this year. Uh, but at least it was a that was a week longer than we're waiting now. This is only Exactly. We only got two weeks off. Everybody will get their best car out there, and we're going to have a great race at Monaco. So oh. that's, that, that's how I'm going to view this thing. Yeah, I agree. All right, yeah, so like and subscribe. Uh, all the buttons you need to hit. Stay tuned to our next podcast when it comes out in a couple weeks' time. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Bye-bye.